seek and to save that which was lost. Seeker's service. A rich man goes through the eye of the needle. Now these were titles that I dealt with uh, long about by the end of the week and I couldn't figure out which one I wanted. <laughs> so I started off with the verse, verse 10 in, in Luke 19. But there were two other ones, so I've got them all stacked together. Uh, one of the titles is definitely that verse 10. And that verse 10 is probably the most valuable, the most glorious, the most meaningful, the most important truth ever revealed in Scripture. The reason is it says that for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That pretty well sums up the Bible. That's really what it's about. Be joyous about that. You know what? You know, it's a joyous time of the year. Don't let anything get you down. Because this is what it's about. This is why we're saved, because God is a seeker. He's the seeker and the Savior of those who are lost. So, seeker service is my second title, because in all the last 20, 30 years have been this popular kind of church that would be around that would have a seeker service. And I don't necessarily totally condemn that, but as we go through this today, I think it will help us learn, first of all, who the true seeker is and how we become seekers. But a seeker service was meant for people who were there just to weigh it out, to test it. They're seeking, and so they're, they're examining truth. See, seeker is Jesus who serves. He has service. He serves up salvation to the lost sinner. Third title. You probably know where it comes from. A rich man goes through the eye of the needle. Now we've seen that back a few weeks ago dealing with the rich young ruler. Jesus said it would be like a camel going through the eye of a needle to get salvation. And the disciples say, well, who can be saved? And he said, with man it's impossible. So no matter how much somebody is seeking if the Lord hasn't sought them out first, their seeking does no good. So anyway, a rich man today is going to go through the eye of the needle. Something that's impossible. A man can't go through the eye of a needle. Certainly a camel can't. We know that a man can't. No way. It's impossible. So Luke tells a story of this wee little man called Zacchaeus. How many of you remember that little Sunday school story and it had a song called uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Right? And many of you probably remember that. Some of you are going, huh? <laughs> He's short. He's short. He's real short. Okay. <laughs> anyway, 
we know that the young man that was a ruler, that was rich, walked away. From salvation. And that's when Jesus says how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Zacchaeus is going to show the story of salvation of a rich man. That's right. There are many people who are rich that have become saved. But it's by God's grace, by God's power. All of His grace, all of His power, that's how we're saved. One man, the rich man, was rich. And he was religious, ruler of a synagogue. Yet, when it came down to what it was about following Christ, he could not give up everything and follow Christ. There's another rich man here in this story today. He was not really religious. They wouldn't want him at the synagogue. He's a tax collector. But he gives up everything. He's willing to give up everything. He does. How do we explain this? Jesus came to seek and to save His own whom the Father has given to Him. All the ones that He has chosen before the foundation of the world that the Father then gives to the Son, then He seeks them out and saves them. If you're a believer, that's what happened to you. He sought you out so that you could go seek Him. Jesus came to seek and to save His own. And to save them from their sin. To save them from God. Now you want what? Sin, death, hell, Satan. But most of all, to save them from who? From God. Because the wrath of God is on all the people who are not trusting in Him. His judgment. And He came to rescue sinners from doom. We were all doomed. He came here to save us from that. Now, we're right at the very heart of the existence of the universe. How many people have answers about the existence of the universe? God actually created the universe. Imagine that. So that in the universe, He could create the earth. So that on the earth, He could create the human race. So that out of the human race, He could seek and save lost sinners. That's why He did it. It was for His own everlasting joy. It was for His own good pleasure. It was His own good purpose. It was His own will. Yes, He did that. That's what it's all about. You know what's going on as far as the earth is concerned? What's going on in the universe? Well, it is that He would be glorified regardless of whatever's going on out there, all the crazy stuff, it's not incidental in the infinity of this universe. It's the focal point of the entire universe. 
so that He might be glorified by His own. That He might rescue a group of sinners to make His own and for them to be holy. Now, had it not been in the way that He planned it, Somebody could say, well, what about sin? He could have kept us from sinning and we'd all be with Him in eternity. Yeah, we could have. But He didn't make it that way, so it couldn't have been that way. You see, He would never have been worshipped for His mercy, for His compassion, His sympathy, His forgiveness, His grace, His love. All of those things. He would have never been worshipped for that had there not been salvation. If He would have not allowed sin, we would never have been saved from sin. We would not know His grace. You're just now learning about His grace. It takes a lifetime. By the way, it will take an eternity to know this grace. Because it's not about me. It's not about you at all. It's about Him. All those attributes of God That's how we understand grace and mercy and compassion. That's how we understand when we have suffering on this earth and even to the point of death what it is really all about. Why is the universe here? Why is the earth here? Why is the human race here? Why am I here? People ask those questions. The answer is that so God might for His eternal joy and glory, seek out the ones who are all lost, which is everybody, and take that group into eternity with Him so that we would glorify Him perfectly for the rest of eternity. Did you know that God is by nature a saving God? It's His nature. Now the story that we're in today, and it's by far more than just a story, It's a profound theological statement. Theology in this story, I believe, is inexhaustible. We've heard it all before. But as I thought on this all week, as I read the passage and studied it, looked at it more and more in the depth, and I'm going, this is truly amazing. I'm seeing something here that I haven't seen before. Do you guys want to see that? Yes. Let's take our Bibles up. Let's read this section. Leviticus, or not Leviticus, Luke. Luke. <laughs> we do have a passage in Leviticus today. Luke 19. Starting at verse 1, we have a new chapter today. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to his place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry it, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried, came down, received it gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Lord, we adore You, for You're the one that seeks out us sinners and brings them home to You. By Your grace, Amen. Okay. He entered Jericho. That's Jesus, the disciples, a huge crowd. There's a crowd in Jericho. There's a crowd around Jesus. We talked about Jericho last week, and I'll spare you of going about 10 or 15 minutes speaking about Jericho, but I want you to think about it. It is a beautiful city, a very warm city through the wintertime. Snow's in Jerusalem. Jericho, it is like 75 degrees. Palm trees everywhere. Gorgeous city. It's an oasis out in the desert. Here comes Jesus. This place is of a great significance. Jesus travels through this city as he nears his destination. What's his destination? The cross in Jerusalem. Getting close to about a week away here from his crucifixion. It's somewhere around that time. Ultimately, he's going to the cross. He's been in Jericho in chapter 18. You remember the two blind men? And he healed them. They followed him. Well, either before that story there or maybe afterwards as he came into the city. I would tend to think if Luke is setting this up, you know, there it is. He's done that. Now he's doing this. Maybe that's what the deal is. It's definitely that same time that he's in Jericho. There he is. He has a purpose heading to Jerusalem. And he comes to this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus is passing through. There's a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. What does Zacchaeus mean? What does his name mean? All names have meanings. There's a reason for names. Well, it means clean, innocent, pure, righteous. Tax collector. (laughs) The chief tax collector. What's your name? Tax collector. Zacchaeus. Righteous. Pure. Uh, Does Zacchaeus really believe that? (laughs) Nobody else does either. 
They can't believe His name. (laughs) It meant something to His parents when they named Him. That's what they wanted. That's what He was to be about. He's not that way. See, He became a traitor. Becoming a major figure as a tax collector who would have been an agent of the Roman government who overcharged the people for their taxes for his own gain. I wonder what his mom and dad thought of him now. Might have disowned him. I don't know. There's not not a word about that. But I will tell you, and we already know the end of the story because we just read it. But going beyond biblical history, we go into just church history, and there are early church fathers that are called, or writers, that give us some information of how the church was doing shortly after the early church of the apostolic days. There was a guy by the name of Clement of Alexandria. He's an early church father. And he said this about Zacchaeus, that he became a very prominent Christian leader and ended up a pastor of the church in Caesarea, the tax collector. Later to be succeeded by none other than Cornelius, the centurion, found in the book of Acts, chapter 10. Guys that you would not think to be leaders in the church. Tax collector, Cornelius is like he's like a Gentile, right? You gotta love it. These are the people that Jesus is including into his church as he is walking through Jericho and wherever he's been for his three and a half year journey. He's picking these people up and bringing them into the kingdom, putting them right through the eye of the needle. Well, we know that he's lost before Christ comes there. Apalumi is the word. It means to be ruined. It means to be destroyed. Were you ever ruined? Were you ever destroyed before Christ? Yes, you were. You were ruined. You were a ruin. Like every person who has ever lived, lost, ruined because of their sin as a tax collector or even if a Pharisee or a synagogue official, he would still be in the same condition. Lost. They're all in the same boat. So it says here, he was a chief tax collector. Uh, He wasn't popular among the people. They were considered the scum of the earth. I've mentioned that many times if we've gone through Luke. Takes unfair advantage of people. His own people. He does that too. He's not a Gentile. He's not a Roman. He's a Jew. Chief tax collector means that he was head over all the tax collectors in his region. Israel had three regions 
He was the CEO right here. This is the president of tax collectors in that whole area of Judea, including Jericho and Jerusalem and all of that area. Quite a prominent man, wasn't he? People wouldn't want to admit it. As far as the Jews are concerned, he is a picture of one of the worst sinners possible. That's the way the Jews would see this. He's defiled. He's outcast. He's sordid. He's outside the synagogue. He is an abuser. That's how the people looked at him. There was no honor for him. In light of this public hatred of tax collectors, I think it's very significant what Luke thinks of tax collectors. You know what Luke thinks of tax collectors? The opposite way. Because, and let's just go through Luke just for a moment, and you will be amazed as you look at just these verses and how the tax collector is observed from Luke's angle and from even Jesus' angle. Let's just go through a few. Luke 3, verse 12. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Is this collect no more than what you've been ordered to? <laughs> That's good enough. <laughs> they were being baptized. Sometimes, do, you ever, do you even remember that verse? When we went through this? Way a long time ago. Uh, chapter 5, verse 27. You will recognize this one. 5.27 After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to follow him. What did he do? He left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. He's a rich man too, Matthew is. He's a tax collector. Maybe not as rich as this Zacchaeus because he's head of tax collectors. But Matthew left it all follow Christ. But he's a tax collector. What does Luke think of tax collectors? Okay. Uh, chapter 7, verse 29. You remember that verse, right? 7.29 says, When all the people and the tax collectors... <laughs> all the people and the tax collectors... It's like they're not even people... <laughs> Heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But then the Pharisees, the lawyers, reject God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Tax collectors, favorable light again. Chapter 15, verse 1. Oh, you remember this one? This wasn't that long ago. <laughs> now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were come. This means they're higher than sinners. They're worse than sinners, you know, whatever they are, you know. All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, Jesus, to listen to him. I don't know how many they were. It must have been a big crew of them. A lot of them know each other probably. They're in the same profession. Matter of fact, they wouldn't have any other friends. The tax collectors had friends. 
that were tax collectors. And evidently they weren't friends of even sinners. Because that's another group. (laughs) They're worse than sinners. And he starts talking about the parable of the lost sheep. The lost sheep. You go seek out the lost sheep. I guess. Did they think they were lost sheep? After this story, I'm sure they probably were. And then you get the parable of the lost coin. The lady seeks that coin out. And then you have the prodigal son. The father every day looked for him to come back. And there he is. And he finally, after so much time, puts out his hands and welcomes him in. He sought after him too. So, there's another one. Chapter 18, verse 10. Oh, we're getting real close now to where we've been. Verse 10. Two men went up in the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Who becomes saved out of that? The tax collector. What about the Pharisee? No. It's the tax collector that says, have mercy on me. Right? Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Chapter 18. Now here we are in 19 verse 2. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus is trying to see who this Jesus is. Now, he knows that he has a sordid life. He knows he's been taking advantage of people. Do you think he feels guilty? I think he does. But I'll tell you what, He's rich. And you turn back to chapter 18, verse 23. And the rich young ruler, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? And he said, things are impossible with people, are possible with God. There we are. And here's this tax collector. Have you seen how Luke has portrayed tax collectors? A lot different than the way that the normal Jew would have. Jesus has a heart for sinners even though we're skying. He has a transforming power. Now this man's life revolved around the love of money. He loved money. Matter of fact, his character outwardly would probably differ from the Pharisee that was at the temple praying. But they have something in common. They love money. It's what they are about. That's their life. That's their idol. So really, this tax collector is like that Pharisee. They're both lost. They're both rich. Both both men were very wealthy and had a great love of wealth. They both needed a Savior. Now, you have a crowd because he's trying to see over the crowd. Can you imagine a little man going like this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's trying to see whatever he, you know 
he's there. there he's hearing all about it. He said, I'm going to miss him all the way. I've heard so much about him. I think he has a lot of curiosity, don't you? But I think that he has a lot of guilt. He's got a real bad problem. He's right on the chute, right down to hell. He knows his life is not good. But it's going to take the seeker to save this lost man. And this is how Jesus does it. It's overwhelming to me. This, this crowd is just big. It's, it's a melee. It's a mob of people. And whatever tugged at Zacchaeus to, to fight the crowds here, to climb into that tree so that he could see Jesus, nothing is going to stand in his way. He's going to make sure somehow that he sees Jesus. Now you see, Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. <laughs> Politically correct. You've got to be careful how you choose your words these days. We all want to be talking about short people. <laughs> That's a song. <laughs> a wee little man was he. He gives up all his pride and all his humility. This man would have been finely dressed. Somebody that would have been impressive the way that they looked outwardly. If you didn't know he was a tax collector, you'd go, wow, who's this guy? He didn't fit in with the crowd. And there he is. He's jumping up. And, and then he's running to this tree and he climbs up it. It's a sycamore or possibly a mulberry tree. It's like, a, you know how an oak tree is? It's really pretty stout when the branches are really kind of low. He gets up high enough, but he doesn't have to go very high up into that tree. These trees probably aren't that big anyway, but it gets him over the crowd and it probably hangs up over the street somewhat. You've seen that where you have branches that go up over the street. I don't know, probably... Uh, that could be. It wouldn't have to be. Anyway, he gets a good view and he gets to see Jesus. This famous Jesus. The parade of people. What a throng in that streets, The street there. Probably even as much or more than the Jeff City Parade yesterday. I didn't go to it, but I imagine there was a good crowd. Right? So, now that's a part one. I really want to get to the, the last verse. I wanted to spend most of my time on that last verse. I'm just going slower than I want to go. <laughs> here we have here, when Jesus said in verse 5, came to the place he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down here. For today, I must stay at your home. And to stay even means maybe stay the day and the night. It's not just coming over for a, a half hour visit. I came here for this. So he came down and he received him gladly. Well, here's the seeker, folks. When our Lord came to this place, he took the initiative. Now, Zacchaeus is taking an initiative, all right. You know, he's climbing up and in the tree. But you see, Jesus knew exactly who he's going to run into. See, he has specific people at specific times that he goes to. He's the seeker. 
Zacchaeus is wanting to see Jesus. Jesus is the one who started the process. Charles Spurgeon, one of the wisest preachers of the 1800s and probably ever in the church, he said this, Christ does not leave it to ourselves to seek Him or else it would be left indeed. For so vile is human nature that although heaven be offered and though hell thunder in our ears, yet there never was and there never will be any man who, unconstrained by sovereign grace, will run in the way of salvation and so escape from hell and flee to heaven. Did you get it? No man would ever seek Christ. If left to his own, that's where they would be left. If you seeked, if you sought Christ out, it's only because the Savior's loving kindness for you took the initiative to seek you first. Now, there's three stunners here as Jesus speaks to him, or as he comes close to him. You know what the first stunner is? Eye contact. Jesus' eyes glued right on Zacchaeus' eyes. That's a stunner right there. If you're Zacchaeus, they say that he was probably five feet or shorter. Second stunner is that he calls him Zacchaeus. His name. Wow, how did he know my name? And I wonder if he's going, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. The third is, hurry up and come down because I'm coming to your house today. And yes, he's going to go to his physical house, but what is he thinking? The house of Zacchaeus. I'm going to make my dwelling place there. <laughs> Ultimately, that's what it's about. Did you know that when he says, hurry and come down, did you know that that is a command? In the Greek, it's imperative. You know what an imperative is, don't you? You remember that back in the third grade? It's a command. Imperative. It's irresistible. He's going to come down. This is an irresistible call. You ever heard of that? His call is effectual. When Jesus calls... Us to salvation, we will go. 100% sure there are no ifs, ands, or buts. It is, he calls, you are there. That's the way it goes. And Jesus uh, says, I must stay at your house. I must do that. Uh, This is a divine appointment. This is the purpose of God. I have no choice. I must do this. God only knows who He will save. And He knows when He will save them. He knows where He will save them. 
He's in total control of this because it was planned long before we were ever here. How about that, folks? What kind of God is this? That is incredible. That's how big He is. We don't limit His salvation, do we? It's necessary. That's the word here that He must stay. It is necessary for me to stay at your home. Divine necessity. It's predetermined for the foundation of the world. Jesus does not call the mass of humanity in that crowd there that day. Who does He call? Zacchaeus. Of course, Bartimaeus and his buddy. He had a divine appointment in Jericho as He passed through there. You know what? Jesus... God, don't play this way in that, okay, I did my thing. I died on the cross. Now it's up to them to make a decision for me. We hear that terminology, and basically it's been in the last century. And to be honest with you, there hasn't been much spiritual good that's come out in the last hundred years, to be real honest with you. There's a few things about it, but biblical knowledge and what the Bible says doesn't seem to take priority. He calls individuals by name and His call is effectual. It's not like, okay, I've now made salvation possible for you. Oh, if only you can come to Me. It's up to you. We would have never been there, folks. That's what this is all about all through here. I'm not favoring some kind of own personal theology about election and predestination. Those are all biblical. They're there throughout Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. It's all about Him and His glory. Yes, we are to say yes to Him. But the question is always this. Why did we say yes? Because He did this work in us and put it into our hearts to say yes. To Matthew, He said, come follow Me. Did He choose Matthew? Yes, He did. Really? Matthew said, okay. (laughs) Um, He left everything behind. Peter and Andrew. They were fishing. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. They left everything. They followed Him. Wow. They left their nets. They followed Him. Later He saw James and John mending their nets. He called them. What did they do? They followed Him. Look at John 4.4. Samaritan woman. Jesus is going to go through Samaria. Usually you go on the other side of the Jordan River, but this time He goes right into Samaria. If you are a Galilean or a Judean, you don't pass through there. And look at John 4.4. It says in verse 3, He left Judea, went again unto Galilee, and He had to pass through Samaria. What does that mean? God designed it. That that's the reason why he went to Samaria. There was a woman there. 
And there was a well there. He had this as a divine appointment. The lady at the well didn't know it. But Jesus sure did. That's why He went there. And then, of course, shortly thereafter, there was a field white for harvest. It was people coming that way. And many people were saved after that. But He came to that one woman. And then she went and testified to them. And they go, wow, who was He? That she, being the woman she was, became different, changed. And they did too. Look at Isaiah 65, verse 1. This is Jesus. This is our Savior, folks. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 1. If I would get out of Jeremiah, I might be able to read this. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, Here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. Why did he choose Israel? Because they were bigger, brighter, more fantastic than all the nations, right? No, they were little amongst them all. Why did he do that? Because that's what he chose to do. He went to that nation and worked through them. In John 1.12 it says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. As a whole, He came to Israel, and as a whole they rejected Him. But as many as received Him, what did He give? Eternal life. So, there's a matter of receiving, isn't there? We receive Christ. He seeks us out. Zacchaeus wanted to see... Because he's curious. Maybe there was something that, you know, he could get some kind of a a handle on. What's, what's happening? I've heard all about him. Who wouldn't? Everybody there was wanting to see him. But you know what? Something even more important. Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus. So in verse 6, he hurries, comes down, receives him gladly. I think he received him gladly, so profusely. He was so overjoyed to see that Jesus cared about him. So we go back to Luke 19, verse 7. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, the crowd, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Dunedin, no better than that. If he's God, he would know. You know, if he's the Messiah, he, he, this is a sinner. This is the tax collector. Everybody knows this. We've heard this before, haven't we? No self-respecting Jew would have ever exposed himself to such severe pollution of a tax collector staying at his house. Are you kidding me? It's one thing to even talk to him, but to go to his house? No way. He's like a gentile. He's worse. He's wretched. He's despised. He's rejected. You know what? He's no different than the Pharisee, this tax collector. He's just like the Pharisee. 
people of Israel never got it as a whole. Some did. A few. All the way to the end, they're holding on to their vile, damning self-righteousness. That's what they did. That's what the Pharisees did all the way through. Scribes. Those hypocrites. That's what Jesus called them when He got into the city here in the next few days. Jesus is saving sinners who have no merit. This man is going to realize that he has no merit. Now, verse 8, we see the sign of a converted sinner, of a changed heart. Look at this, folks. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. Is it works that you're saved by? No. It's because of salvation you want to have good works. To give half of His possessions. To repay those whom He's defrauded for fold four times as much. They didn't have to do that much. According to the law, the law only required paying back what you stole and then one-fifth of that, 20% of that amount, Zacchaeus is going all out fourfold. He truly believed in the Lord for salvation right at this point. He's a saved man just like that. Just re- he realized that here's a repentance. This is a turning around. And he shows it by his works now. You know the surest test of repentance is sometimes when God gets a hold of our money. We tend to hold back. This man gives back the max. Look in Leviticus 5.16. Here's the law. Here's what the law said if you stole from people. Five sixteen. Hope I got the right one here, Mike. Yeah. Here's uh He shall make restitution for which he has sinned against the holy thing and shall add to it a fifth part of it and give it to the priest. The priest shall then make atonement for him with the ram of guilt offering and it will be forgiven him. So there is like where a guilt offering comes into place and somebody who is guilty in that sense. Go to chapter 6 verse 5. Here again or anything about which he swore falsely, he shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more, or 20%. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering, if he stole something from somebody. So that's what the law requires. What is he willing to He's willing to, like, just half of his possessions right off bat, just in case there are other people that he owes. He's got to keep that back and make sure. And for anybody that he knew that he stole from, what have you, fourfold, he's going to go with. Okay, repentance. Do you have faith here? It's all being seen, isn't it? 
He recognizes the cost. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Did he recognize the cost? Yes. Did he follow Christ? No. What does this man do? He recognizes the cost and it's extreme and he follows Christ. Wow. Big difference there, isn't it? He responded with haste. He responded with obedience. He responded with joy. He responded with repentance. This is a saved man. Now we come to the last part, and this is the one that I wanted to spend about 45 minutes on today. (sighs) So much for that. Because I made a vow to myself somehow, I am going to get through those first eight verses in about 10-15 minutes. Just can't do it. So be ready. Here we go. And I don't want to short you of time, but it looks like I have at least 15 minutes. And then that would give us 10 minutes till 12. I've got 12 minutes. 15 minutes? Here we go. Okay. Number five. Christ came to save the lost sinner. It says in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, And by the way, whenever he said this to Jesus, what he was going to pay back, I'm sure much of the crowd that was there are going like this. And then he says, I'm going to pay it back. They hear it. Jesus sure hears it. He said, Today, salvation has come to this house. It's come to this man. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation. This is a supreme example of how salvation is initiated. It's always initiated with God. It refers to God's rescuing a perishing soul from eternal wrath and damnation and judgment. It does not just seek the lost and then try to persuade them to decide to accept the Savior. You see, He seeks and He saves the lost. Now, we cannot save anybody. We can give them the gospel and explain what that means and use some hermeneutics and use some apologetics while we're doing that. But, what's the deal here? It's still God that's going to say, we can't persuade anybody. We try to persuade men. And yes, we are to try to do that, but it's going to be God and His inner working. So, that's the way it goes. He honors the Gospel, and if that person has been chosen, they will become saved. Maybe not at that moment that you just gave it to them. It's in His timing, isn't it? A lot of times we just don't see results, do we? It might be long after we're dead that that person becomes saved. But God might have used the seed. He does use the seed. It's never empty, does it? So He says, today salvation has come to the house because He too is a son of Abraham. When He says He too, He's speaking to the crowd. Salvation has come to this man because He's a real son of Abraham. 
Well, the children of Israel were sons of Abraham. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that, yeah, they were born in the line of Abraham. They're Jews. Does that make them saved? No. Never did. Did they think it did? Yes, it did. That's their problem. They're self-righteous. Automatically, we're Jews, we're saved. No. I'm Baptist, I'm saved. Right? I grew up in a Baptist church. No. I'm Methodist, I must be saved. No. Not because you're Methodist. Nothing's guaranteed in that sense. But he says, this man is a son of Abraham, or he's a true son of Abraham. They're the, it's the people of faith. See, in Galatians 3.7 says, therefore, oh, 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 verse 6, even so, Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. He believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's justification, isn't it? We're justified because, well, you have belief, you have faith, you have true faith, you are reckoned as righteous or justified. Now here's verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Does that help? He's the son of Abraham. When he said that, he's saying he is truly the son of Abraham. This is what it is when you become one who has faith. That's how you're justified. Pharisees had self-righteousness, right? That was a problem. Jesus saying that the sinner whom they despised was a true son of Abraham must have rocked their world. Sure rocked Zacchaeus' world and he believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Galatians 6.16 And those who will walk by this rule everyday life every day Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Is he speaking the nation? He's speaking true Jews who were born in that bloodline. They are Israel. Folks, we are not Israel. We're not Israel of God. Okay, get that. Make sure that you know that. We are not Israel of God. We are children of Abraham because of faith. But true Israel of God are Jewish people who have faith in the Messiah. And so His peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Yes, even you Gentiles here in Galatia and also the Jews who believe in the Messiah. The Israel of God. And that's the way that we understand that. Now, verse 10 Here's this key verse. For the Son of Man... Let's get into that just a moment. Son of Man means He is perfect humanity. He referred to Himself so much as the Son of Man as He identifies with us and His total dependence upon God. He came here to do the Father's will. So in every way He was human except for having sinned. 
He used this term, Son of Man, frequently, and especially as He anticipated the cross. Son of Man is God. He's also man, and He's known known what He's doing here. So the Son of Man has come to seek. To seek means to pursue. It means to search. To search diligently. Out of all the people in the great crowd, who did the Savior zero in on? Zacchaeus. This one little man. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, they went and hid. And God says, Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know, but Adam has to realize that God's everywhere. He can't hide from Him. Who sought who? Did Adam seek God after sin happened? Not at all. He's running away from Him. That's what people do. That's their nature. What did God do? He sought Him out. And then gave Him the great promise that He could be restored. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. It's humbling, isn't it? We love because He first loved us. Jesus came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 So basic. So simple. So simple that even a child can believe this. 1 Timothy 1.15, but the profoundness of it is incredible. It's 1 Timothy. (laughs) 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 Kind of remind myself here. Okay, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom... I am foremost of all. Who wrote this? Paul, the chief of sinners. Christ came into this world. You know those Christmas songs that we sing? Almost every one of them talk about wretched sinners and a glorious Savior who comes to save us. That's really what Christmas is about. That is Christmas, isn't it? That's why those songs are really precious to us. We love those songs. We're familiar with those words because they come right out of Scripture. So good. The lost sheep, lost coin, the prodigal. Did you know that God just delights in this? This is such a great pleasure to save sinners who don't deserve it. To go in and save them. You ever done something for somebody who didn't deserve it? They didn't really do anything. For that, somebody really blesses you. Somebody pays a meal for you, and you go, "Wow, I, what, what did I do? I didn't deserve it." That's grace. They just did it because they wanted to. Wow, I feel kind of humbled by that. This is his greatest pleasure to come in and save us. Look in Isaiah chapter sixty-two, verse. Five, I think. Isaiah 62. 
verse 5, For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. Or it really means in the Hebrew to occupy and possess. Here's, here's the punchline line. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. He loves to save sinners. That's what He is here for. To get glory, right? But you notice that? He's the bridegroom, we're the bride, and He rejoices over His bride. Isaiah, no, 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 wait, uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, next prophecy book. 32 verse 41. All these prophecy books, they're really pointing to the Messiah, to be honest with you, all the way. 32.41 I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. That would be the Jewish people, but it also is the people that are believers. Like those particular people would be. It's his great pleasure to save us. What about those who are to seek? Uh, what about that? Aren't we supposed to seek? Look at Proverbs 8.17. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Ha ha! You see, there's where it is. We're supposed to seek Him. And for this whole time, we've been talking about Jesus is the seeker. Are we supposed to seek Him? Yeah. Did Zacchaeus seek Him? Yeah. I love those who love me. But at first John it said, we love Him because He first loved us. Right? Those who diligently seek will find me. That's true. They always will. Never to go and then, oop, don't want that, and then back out. No, the ones that he sought after, they will seek him. They will find him and want nothing else. Isaiah 55, 6. Bouncing around in the prophet section, aren't we? 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him who is near. That's true. It says Romans 10, we're supposed to call upon Him. Confess Him as Lord. Confess our sin. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him. That's right. Those are commands. We are to do that. That is the invitation. To seek Him out. You say, this sounds contradictory. Are we to sit back and do nothing? Clearly not. The same Bible that says we cannot seek after God commands us to seek Him. Because in the Psalms and in Romans chapter 3, it says in verse 11, none seek Him. There are none good. There are none who understands. There's none who seeks after Him. And it's, we just read that we're supposed to seek Him. Well, you're not going to seek Him on your own. None will seek. Look at the answer in Psalm 24, verse 5 and 6. Did you see why I couldn't wait to get to this part? 
He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of those who seek Him. The ones who are righteous. The ones who get the blessing. Who seek your face. Even Jacob or even Israel. Selah. Jam. Start start playing your instruments. Selah. Ah, the ones who have righteousness, the one who've blessed God. This is the generation of those who seek Him. The ones that He sought out seek Him. They're blessed. They seek His face. By the way, as a believer, don't you seek the Lord every day? When you pray to Him, aren't you seeking Him? Aren't you wanting guidance, wisdom, and truth? Matthew 6.33, Sermon on the Mount. Everybody knows this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Seek ye first. Who is that? It's the one that He has sought after. The only way we can seek Him is if He seeks us. In this story, the Lord seeks a man who then seeks the Lord. Do you see that in this story of Zacchaeus? Even though Zacchaeus is there, God already had it in mind. And He's seeking him out. He's looking for him. He knows where he's at. Focuses his eye on him and then the man became instantly saved. Did you know that Christ actually saves? You know why I use that word actually? He saves the lost. He actually He, tr- he saves the lost. He didn't come here to make salvation possible. Who did He die for? Sinners. He died for His people. Because that is what the payment is made for. The ones that He had chosen. The one He died for. All the Gospel is offered to all, everybody, every man, woman, and child were to offer that to them. But it's up to God to save them. Because He chose them before the foundation of the world. And He will save them. And He'll save them forever. And there's your once saved, always saved, in a true biblical light. Actual salvation. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. If it's everybody, every man and woman and child ever been born in this world, that means the Father gave those to Christ. It says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And this is the will who who sent me, of Him who sent me, that all He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. What does that mean? All the ones that the Father has given to the Son are His and His forever. That's what it says. John 6 there. Does our salvation depend upon our weak will? Our flesh? Our will? It depends on the mighty and the absolute certainty of the will of God. If it's His will that you be saved. By the way, the will of God is that people be saved. And if that gospel is going out, you say, Well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't even know. I don't, I'm not so sure. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that I'm a Christian. Or, how do I know that I'm even elect? 
Don't worry about that. Is He calling you? What do the people who are called, what do they do? They come to Him. They seek Him out. All the ones who come to Him, I will no wise cast out. And say, you have just said something that seems to contradict everything you just said. We little minds that we have. Because the eternal God with His great thinking, all I know is that He's chosen a select people. And He calls people everywhere to come to Christ. And so, I can't tell whether you're elect or not, but I can tell you, Christ calls, you go. Don't worry about who the elect are. Go seek Him out. Go to Him. That's where the idea... If God left you to yourself, you would never seek Him. You would never believe in Him. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. It says in Romans that we were He died for the ungodly. Does that fit you? Were you ungodly? Then you can have hope. He dies for the ungodly. He dies the ones who have no hope. And He gives hope to them. Because Christ came to save such people from their sin. If He can save a blind man, if He can save a tax collector, one of the worst ever, He can sure save any of us here. The Lord seeks a man who then seeks Him. That's our theology of the day. Father, great God, awesome You are. You lift us up to godly thoughts to think like Christ thinks as we read Your Word. That's why it's so precious to read it every day. Lord, this is You speaking to us and You seek us out so that we can seek You and we just sought You this morning. Oh Lord, thanks for the blessing. Thanks for these people who You've made godly, who You've made holy. Let them be more like Jesus Christ. In His name, Amen. Amen.